0: Hello and welcome back to The Indy, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Alexander Goldberg, and on today's episode, we're talking about some feel-good news going on in the community in April. The Community Environmental Council is organizing its annual Earth Day Festival this weekend, April 29th and 30th, at Alameda Park. The Indie sat down with Kathy King director of climate education and leadership with the organization about how Santa Barbara, which is actually the birthplace of Earth Day, is coming together to celebrate environmental advocacy. But up first, April is National Poetry Month and I visited the ninth annual Spirits in the Air reading at the Good Lion Bar in downtown Santa Barbara. Each poem read is about libations or alcohol, but while some are humorous, some may be somber, this one is about gin.
1: Speaking of delight, here's my poem Tongue with Dingle Gin Martini. I'm torn about the observation that I might overuse the word delight. Instantly, I fear falling soporific prey to wit, to the whoosh when the heat roars on in the house, to the juniper of joy and brain buzz of blur of gin. To you, right? This is
0: George Yatchison, a Santa Barbara independent writer, and he has been hosting the Spirits in the Air reading for nine years. In a press release, Yatchison said, quote, This event will attest to the multifaceted ways poets have found inspiration, solace, and yes, sometimes sickness in the bottle, end quote. But in honor of National Poetry Month, Yatchison and the visiting poets hope to bring the community out for a reading of poetry that is fun and quite social indeed. Great. Well, thank you so much, George, for joining me on the show today. I want to start off with a quick introduction of yourself. And I know you wear a couple hats in Santa Barbara. You work at UC Santa Barbara. You work at the Santa Barbara Independent as well. And of course, you're hosting this event. So if you could go into a brief introduction, that would be great.
1: My position for my day job is the director of communications for the Gewurz Graduate School of Education at UC Santa Barbara, a true mouthful. But then I've written journalism my whole life and written for The Independent, pretty much since I got to Santa Barbara 29 years ago, maybe 28 years for The Independent off and on, and other places, including Edible Santa Barbara, if I may mention another publication, uh, and other places. I've done radio on KCSB off and on, and then have hosted a series of readings, was part of the uh, team that hosted the Santa Barbara Reading Series, a poetry series for a while, For the last nine years, annually during Poetry Month, which is April, because it's the cruelest month, I've done Spirits in the Air. And that's a event at the Good Lion about drinking and poetry.
0: And we will be honing in on the host role at the Spirits in the Air event. So tell me a little bit about what The event is, I know, it's in its ninth annual. So if you could go into more detail about what the event is, that would be awesome.
1: All right. It's an invited poetry reading. It's not an open mic. So if open mic scares you, you're safe, I promise. And they're all very fine poets. I try to get an interesting mix of people, sometimes people who don't read quite as much in the Santa Barbara area, even though they live here. And expand that a little bit. Sometimes we've had people up from North County too, or in one case, a reader from LA who teaches at UCSB. But this uh, year, everybody is local actually for uh, this edition, the ninth edition. And what happens is each reader, it's very quick. They read one of their own poems about libations and then one that they've chosen written by someone else. And I make sure that everyone is reading a different poem because sometimes people want to focus on a particular one. There's some very famous poems about drinking, and we try to spread those out and make sure you don't get the same poem five times. The bars open the whole time, so there is drinking involved if you so choose to do it, but sometimes drinking poems aren't necessarily positive about drinking. I understand that. There can be some downfall sometimes, and that gets into many of the poems the way it's kind of a double-edged sword it really runs a great range some of them are just set in bars some are about wine we've had poems about grapes in the field and that whole process since obviously where we are in Santa Barbara there's a lot of that going on even though sometimes the poets writing them uh, there's a very famous Iris Sadoff poem he teaches at the University of Maine about Zinfandel and so that one has been read in one of the in fact I might have been the one who read that one year sometimes it's cocktails you know, sometimes it's uh, reminiscences of parents and what they did with drinking and what that meant to you.
0: How beautiful. I'm excited to listen in on Wednesday. And I wanted to ask how did you stumble upon writing about drinking? Is this a passion of yours? And why is the event all about libations?
1: Uh, A couple of things. I write about food and wine and drinking is one of my journalistic things. So it seemed kind of natural to uh, write odes more directly to spirits and things. And sometimes even some of my journalism has been uh, called prose poems about certain kinds of food in town and things. So there was that. um, And I like those things. It's so it's a natural kind of you write about stuff that matters to you. And it matters to me. And I like the social element of it, the historical element of it, the tradition of writers like Dorothy Parker and the Algonquin Table and things like that have always attracted me. So those are things that I sort of want to appeal to. And then the reason I wanted to do the reading, so many people I think are afraid of poetry or think it's going to be boring. So how do you lure them in? And I thought, You get to drink while you listen to these, and then they're going to be about drinking, and a lot of them are funny. Not always. Sometimes they're quite poignant, uh, but that's good, too. Sneaking that back in, I think, is fun. So it was another way to think of an event that could be relatively quick and painless, but still poetry.
0: Absolutely, and I wanna to touch on the social element that you brought up. So there's quite a few poets that will be doing readings. Can you talk about who these people are and what they'll be bringing to the table, no pun intended, on Wednesday?
1: This year, uh, Gudrun Bortman is gonna be our, I'm just gonna go through alphabetically, uh, fine local poet uh, who was born in Germany, so she has this kind of different perspective on things. Um, Christopher Buckley, our second reader, uh, longtime teacher at UC Riverside, who lives in Santa Barbara, very born in Santa Barbara, originally, too. So he's got a fine view of California. Michelle DeTore, who lives in Carpinteria, and, um, is kind of a wilder element of our readings. Uh, she likes talking about herself being feral, which is fun. Rebecca Horrigan, who also writes for The Independent and writes about food. Uh, it's always good to get some younger people in because everybody thinks all of us poets are at least 55. And uh, that's not true. Rebecca's there, yay. Uh, Diana Rabb, a longtime writer in Santa Barbara. Actually, she now just moved from Montecito to Summerland. And so she's uh, going to be tired when she reads because <laughs> there's a big house move for Diana, but a longtime reader and part of this. Linda Saccoccio, who is a poet and a painter and often combines those two, writes poems about paintings that she's done or, write, or makes paintings about other people's poems. A very interesting poet. David Starkey, who was our third poet laureate and also a good friend. Guy who's in a lot of bands, so he brings a lot of interesting energy to his poems. Emma Treas, who just this week is passing on the Poet Laureate baton in Santa Barbara to the next Poet Laureate. Another great, great writer, uh, Chris Yost, who is Poet Laureate number five and also happens to be my wife, but um, she's great separate from that. And then I'll be reading and I've been doing this stuff for a long, long time.
0: And can you give us a preview of a poem that you have written about libations? Uh, From my understanding, this will not be read at the event, but can you give us a special look into your writing?
1: Yes, this is extra bonus material that you do not get at the reading. Isn't that exciting? So this one's called, Who Doesn't Need Happy Hour? Flame an orange peel accurately, and you've discovered nature's sparkler. The astounding amount of oil suddenly glitter-headed toward your infinitely cheerier cocktail coupe. Friday evenings should never kickstart a weekend with less. A bright bit of show, a singe of carbon on your citrus-tinged, mezcal-smoked fingers, work burnt away.
0: I love that. I can almost smell the poem (laughs) talking about you know, the taste of mezcal and the aroma of an orange peel being burnt for a drink. That's wonderful. I'm excited. This is getting me super pumped up to hear all of the poems that are, you know, bringing light to the social aspect of drinking, but also to learn about people's struggles, maybe with alcohol. So thank you so much for sharing that. I wanted to move into the next topic. April is National Poetry Month, as you mentioned. So how does this event embrace poetry in the community in lieu of National Poetry Month?
1: It's easy for poetry to become a community of just poets talking to other poets, and so how do you reach out beyond that? And I think this is an event that, at least in my eyes, I'm trying to attempt that uh, bridge building. How do you get people who might not show up at a poetry reading to go to one and maybe even get them to say, hey, I kind of like that. And there are people I know who only come to this poetry reading and I never see them at another one all year. And then they're back for spirits in the air. And I think that's a good sign because there's a lot of good poetry. Ada Limon, the national poet laureate is going to be reading at arts and lectures in just next week right the 24th 25th i can't remember the exact date but we have all these big people coming in there's lots of events that have been going on all month and there are a few more yet to come Uh, chaucer's has been a great supporter of our events too there's a lot of poetry there it's a wide web and how do you make that web as varied as possible and that's what i think spirits in the air is good about doing
0: Great. Thank you so much. I definitely understand that broad appeal and how this could bring out people who maybe won't consider readings, but we'll have fun with this one. So this is the ninth annual Spirits in the Air reading, as we mentioned earlier. Can you talk a little bit more about the traditions of the event and how you're keeping this this reading alive in the community?
1: Part of the tradition is that anything can happen, and that's kind of fun. In our early years, we had uh, Chris Heinrich, who's the cowboy poet at the Alisal, took part. So those were very different poems than most of the poems we usually hear. We've had poems where people have passed out the poem they're reading, and there's an audience participation part. So that's something you might not expect, which might frighten people too. It's like a sing-along at a concert or something. but. Uh, At least you don't have to worry about whether your voice is good when you just shout along uh, to ale names, uh, Belgian ale names of all things, because many of them are kind of naughty. And David um, Starkey and his wife Sandy, uh, she sang one time for the second poem and he played guitar. So that's happened. So a little bit of anything can happen. And one of the best things is because people only have two poems, one of their own and one by somebody else, at most they read for six minutes or so. And that means if you don't like somebody, the new person's coming soon. It's like the weather. It's going to change. So just stay put and you'll see what happens.
0: Wonderful. I love that performance aspect and, and potentially getting the crowd involved. That should be very fun and I want to hone in specifically on your work. So you have a journalistic background but what is your inspiration for your work?
1: I've been a writer writer longer. I, all my college degrees are in writing and there are too many of them because once I figured out you could keep getting masters and hang around with other people who wanted to talk about writing all day and they would let you teach as a graduate student. You could do that. It's like I'm going to do this as long as I can. So I collected a whole bunch of masters in both poetry and uh, nonfiction prose, and I just love words. I love. I've always loved reading. I was a writer even as a kid, and so then you just keep writing about other things you love. So as we're doing this interview right now, your microphone is hitched up on a baseball book, and I've got a lot of baseball stuff and. I love baseball. So yeah, I write about that some. Usually more nonfiction stuff, but there's that. But it's just putting words together and seeing that, feeling the texture of language is really important to me. And you can do that more in poetry than you can in nonfiction, where you're supposed to actually be more clear, where poetry can have a little bit more of a mystery. And that's kind of fun, I think, that it's inviting people to read it again, to think about it to hear it out loud because it's a very different experience hearing the voice of someone saying the thing.
0: I really resonate with that. When I first got into writing, I loved the beauty of the written word. And why I've gotten into podcasting is because I also see the beauty in the spoken word and how, you know, there's just such different aspects to both. But in this sense, the poetry reading incorporates aspects of of the written and the spoken word and how that can really create an experience for the listener. So before we wrap up the conversation, I wanted to quickly ask if there are any other events happening this month for poetry that you're either hosting, you're reading at, or you know of.
1: Uh, this will be the last one I'm taking part in this month. I was part of some things earlier. So Poetry events that are still coming up. There are several. There's a bunch starting on Sunday the 23rd. There's an event at the Santa Barbara Museum of Art with the poet, a reading in the galleries with Carmen Jimenez, a visiting poet. That's an event that's called A Painting I Can't Remember. Then on Monday, the 24th, there's a local poetry night at Chaucer's starting at 6 p.m. with a whole bunch of people, including Christopher Buckley, who will be one of our readers at Spirits in the Air. Mary Brown, who is often a reader at Spirits in the Air. Christine Penko, who also is often, both of them are not reading this year for us, though. And then on the 25th, Ada Limon has her event at Campbell Hall. 7.30. 7.30. She is the current um, U.S. Poet Laureate. And so that should be a wonderful reading. She's just, she's, her poems are just so good. They're really like kind of hot poems. You know, there's, there's a lot going on. The emotion's powerful.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you would like to add that you think listeners should know about the Spirits in the Air event, National Poetry Month, or poetry in general?
1: One of the fun things I didn't mention about Spirits in the Air, since it's a cocktail event, we try to dress well. You know, so that's a a weird little part. You get something to look at. Even if you don't want to look at us, our clothes might be nice. (laughs) There might be a fancy hat.
0: (laughs) That should be super fun. I'm very excited. Thank you so much again for joining me on the show today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: There is still a week left of National Poetry Month and quite a few events in the community that are planned for folks interested. Now also coming up in Santa Barbara is the annual Earth Day Festival, set for April 29th and 30th at Alameda Park. The indie reporter Chiloé e. Spelius has the story. Hello
2: everyone, my name is Chiloé e. Spelius and thank you for tuning into the indie Pod. Today, I will be diving into the history of Earth Day a celebration that originated in Santa Barbara. Each year on April 22nd, Earth Day aims to bring the community together to promote environmental education and of course, celebrate Mother Earth. This year, the Santa Barbara community will be showing out for an Earth Day festival hosted by the Community Environmental Council on April 29th and 30th at Alameda Park. Earth Day was born after the infamous oil spill of 1969 when 100,000 barrels of crude oil spilled into the Santa Barbara channel. At the time, it was the largest oil spill in the history of the United States. The devastation of the spill was a major catalyst for a shift in attitude towards environmentalism. The Community Environmental Council became a byproduct of the movement, and it is the organization that is responsible for hosting one of the most celebrated Earth Day festivals in the nation. I had the pleasure to meet with Kathy King, who is the Director of Climate Education and Leadership at the Community Environmental Council and the event coordinator of Santa Barbara's annual Earth Day Festival. In our interview, we explored the history and legacy of this anniversary and discussed the importance of celebrating Earth Day in a positive way, given the world's circumstances.
3: My name is Kathy King. I am the Director of Climate Education and Leadership at the Community Environmental Council. We're a nonprofit that has been in Santa Barbara since 1970. And we have been producing the Earth Day Festival since Earth Day was formed, because as you might know, Earth Day came out of the 1969 oil spill in Santa Barbara. So very strong connection in our roots to Earth Day. When I became the director of outreach back in 2016, that was part of the job description was being the festival director for the Earth Day Festival. So I was very honored when that role fell to me. Um, And we did some wonderful events in Alameda Park through 2019. And then we had to shut down. We had to pivot the events. We went online in 2020 and 2021. And then last year, we were able to do a very small in-person version at the Arlington. So this year, we are so happy to be back for real.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. I think this year is going to have a great turnout. Um, So you mentioned the 1969 oil spill. Um, Will you give our listeners and I a mini historical recap of how Santa Barbara became the birthplace of Earth Day? So in
3: 1969, there was an oil spill off of our shores. And at that point, it was the worst oil spill in U.S. history. And there really weren't ways to clean it up, put straw on the beach. You know, people, just regular members of the community went out to the beach in their rain boots with rakes and tried to rake up the oil. All the animals that were covered in oil died because there wasn't really a way that anybody had figured out to get the oil off of them. Um, And so it was the national focus on Santa Barbara. Um, The president came here. uh, Several members of Congress came here, including a senator named Gaylord Nelson. And when he went back to Washington, he said, we need to mark this day some way. Um, it wasn't just about the oil spill. There was, uh, you know, toxic waste being discovered all over the country um, where they had built housing developments on top of landfills. And there was gas leakage in some of those places and the Cuyahoga River in Ohio caught on fire. So it was kind of a it was there was a lot going on around what are we doing to our environment at the time. But the oil spill here really kind of catalyzed all of that. And especially with the proximity to UCSB and the UCSB students, that became very supercharged on how do we get out of fossil fuels. That's how the designation for Earth Day of April 22nd
4: came about. Thank you so much. So when I was reading and doing some research on these oil spills, um, there was like a shift in attitude towards environmentalism after experiencing the catastrophe. And it kind of like brought people from all different corners of Santa Barbara together because the crown jewel of our coastline was in danger. Is this something that is still seen today, in your opinion? Do you think that Santa Barbara as a county is united in terms of fighting for overall health of our coast?
3: That's a great question. And I think in general, yes. I think in general, everybody wants to live in a place with clean air, clean water, clean soil, you know, healthy living for our families it's the struggle still is about how do we get our energy how is it produced um, where is it produced what are we doing with it you know how are we making use of resources so while i think you know particularly in the city of santa barbara and you know the south south coast you know there's definitely still a very strong environmental movement but we still have some way to go to to figure out how we transition to clean energy in the best possible way.
4: And I think that's a major part of why having this Earth Day event is so important just because we need to educate our community in that sense. So I was seeing that there is the Environmental Hero Award. It's a pretty prestigious award, and it's awarded to an individual or an organization who has made significant contributions to the environmental movement. Can you tell us a bit more about the winners of this year's awards and a little bit more about the process that goes behind picking them?
3: Sure. Thank you for asking about our environmental heroes. It's, it is um, a, a real high point of the festival that we honor someone for their contributions to environmentalism in some way. Four years ago, the last time we were in the park, we honored Susie Amos Cameron, who's Husband happens to be James Cameron, that you might have heard of, who directed of Avatar and <laughs> Titanic, among many other things. Um, and she had written a book called One Meal a Day about how if everybody would have one meal a day vegan or even vegetarian, what kind of difference that might make, you know, for the planet. It was called One Meal a Day for the Planet or something like that. And so she came and talked about her book and did a book signing. Was um, so we look for people who, um, at any stage of their career, who have done something pioneering or very special Um, several years ago we honored van jones and at the time he wasn't as well known as he is now and we had heard of him for his work in oakland on green jobs you know he saw green jobs as a way out of poverty because not every green job requires a college degree and there are ways to train people to be solar installers Um, so there's there's a lot of different people that we choose for all those different reasons a few years ago we honored marcus erickson at five gyres who has done a whole lot of work on ocean plastic research and plastic reduction at the source um, advocacy in many ways. And we've also honored a lot of our local government officials like Congresswoman Lois Capps and now Congressman Salud Carbajal when he was Supervisor Carbajal because of the ways that they have advanced environmental protection in their roles as elected officials. So this year, (laughs) we are, are working with a group that's a statewide group called Last Chance Alliance and they are very focused on getting rid of existing and proposed oil projects throughout the state. They are doing a tour of California that's called the Big Oil Resistance tour this spring. It worked out so amazingly perfect that they are going to be in Santa Barbara for that tour on Earth Day weekend. Earth Day weekend being April 29th and 30th not next weekend <laughs> we're at the end of the we're at the end of the month. This year, just because we want to make way for other groups that want to do things throughout the month. Um, And so we are working with Last Chance Alliance on our annual climate summit, where we bring groups together to talk about what they are doing on climate and how we can um, network and make sure that people have the resources they need. And so Last Chance Alliance works with these young people that we are honoring this year. So our collaboration with Last Chance Alliance put us into contact with these special people who focus on environmental justice, which is an area that the Community Environmental Council has really always been aware of, but digging deeper um, in the last several years, even to the point where our tagline for our organization is now rapid and equitable solutions to the climate crisis, because we realize that we can't make the same mistakes that the industrial revolution made in leaving so many people behind or having, having progress beyond the backs of people. You know, we, we want to bring everybody in together. We are honoring Nayeli Kobo, who uh, is an activist out of Los Angeles, who grew up in a community that was bordered very closely by oil production, and it impacted her health. It impacted the health of her community. So she is going to be at the event to accept the award and to talk about what she's doing. Our other honoree is Cesar Aguirre, and he works with the Central California Environmental Justice Network. He is very focused on environmental justice in the Central Valley.
4: So We are very delighted. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. The recipients of this year are very, very young, I noticed. And it's it's really inspiring to see that. The first recipient story, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Erin Brockovich, but it really reminds me of, um, you know, I, I read her bio and it just reminds me of that movie a lot.
3: Yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's about, you know, people who either know people who are impacted or personally impacted that makes their story so strong.
4: And I think this goes to show that, you know, at any age you can, um, you know, try to make a difference too.
3: That's a great point. Thank you.
4: So as the event coordinator, what is your biggest goal for this year's event turnout? And what do you hope to see in future Earth Day events?
3: The Earth Day Festival, I think, is different from a lot of other events in that it's so family friendly. We have so many booths that have kids activities in addition to having a separate area four kids. And it's just a really upbeat and happy event. Everybody that comes has a smile on their face. And that's what makes me happy is just once we get it on its feet and it's all built and we're not worrying about whose tent is where and who's got which, you know, table and if they find if they found all their volunteers, all of those, when once all of those details are behind us, it's just wonderful to walk around and see. All of the interactions and how happy people are, and just feeling the crowd, feeling the energy from the crowd. In the past, we've had about thirty thousand people come through um, on a normal year, so we're estimating that we'll get back to that this year. But you know, this year is a is a rebuilding and
4: interesting, different year. We might have a great turnout just because of the pent up anxiety from COVID and stuff. I feel like people are ready to celebrate and come together as a community again.
3: I hope so. I hope so. And and also fingers crossed that the weather is good because that always helps when people are, people are much more likely to go want to have fun outside when it's sunny
4: outside. So. A great point. It's kind of been a gamble recently with the weather. Sure has. My next question is, why do you think celebrating Earth Day in a positive way is important for, you know, local community given the world circumstances today?
3: Thank you for asking that because I meant to touch on it before when I was talking about how happy it is. And For so many years, our tagline for Earth Day was Educate, Inspire, Act. So really, we want people to come find out what they want to know about, whether they want to go to the Sierra Club's booth or Environmental Defense Center's booth or Explore Ecology. Or obviously, we want them to come to CEC booth as well um, and learn something new, find a way that they want to engage and then take action Once they leave, even if it's just one action, if all those people did it, there's that wonderful ripple effect that you get from the whole community doing something that's meaningful to them. And I heard a great quote recently that has really stuck with me is that in terms of of climate and getting people engaged, that if doom and gloom, if that approach, if the doom and gloom approach was going to work, it would have worked by now. (laughs) You know, people aren't inspired by (laughs) the threats and the negative impacts that we are already feeling and and are going to feel more of, but how do we get out of that and how do we work together to make a better future for us all?
4: Thank you for touching on that. Okay, well, what can we expect at this year's Earth Day event and how can people plan their visit?
3: We will have in the Santa Barbara Independent, one of our wonderful and most important supporters of the event, there is a festival guide. um, That's kind of a pullout section in the middle of the Independent that will drop on April 27th the Thursday prior to the festival and you will find in there all the booths where they're going to be the maps the highlights the band schedules for the main stage the schedules for our smaller stages we have a stage in our homegrown root zone where you will get to meet farmers other groups beekeepers groups that are doing something that is good for the soil and and for plants and animals and on the kids stage, there will be demonstrations for kids, storytelling for kids. And then we have a stage called the Climate Action Stage, um, where there will be some talks from different people. One of our staff is putting together a talk from Guadalupe, where he lives, um, and activism that has been happening there currently, and the kind of the history of climate activism in Guadalupe. And our Green Car Show is kind of always the, 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 the cornerstone of the event with this year, we have a lot of different vehicles coming, new ones that haven't come before, like Audi with their e-tron and Polestar, which is a new electric vehicle brand, and Jeep and VW um, and Chrysler and Chevrolet, and so they will have cars there. And some of them you can drive, and some of them you just you can just see the vehicle um, in person and talk to a dealer about um, all the benefits of driving. An electric vehicle, and then there will be booths there, including CEC will have a booth in the Green Car Show that outlines all of the incentives and the ways that it is more affordable to get into an electric vehicle than it ever has before. There's also a lot of electric bikes coming this year. You know, there's, you may have noticed there's an electric bike craze, which is wonderful because for short commutes, it's a great way to get around and even less impactful than an electric vehicle. And a rad power bikes, the e-bikery, Santa Barbara Electric Bikes, Story Bikes. There's several different electric bike companies coming. And uh, the Santa Barbara County Association of Governments has an electric bike um, incentive program and they will be there to talk about that. And we'll have test rides of some of those e-bikes so people can take them for a spin.
4: Wow, you know, it sounds like there's really something here for everyone. Kathy, is there anything else you would like to add before our interview ends?
3: Um, I just want to say thank you for having me, and I hope to see you and all of your listeners at the festival.
2: Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Kathy. It was wonderful to hear more about the festival and how the community will celebrate Earth Day in just a few weeks. Again, the Earth Day Festival is taking place on April 29th and 30th at Alameda Park, on Saturday between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m., and on Sunday between 11 and 6 p.m. Next week, keep an eye out for the print edition of the Santa Barbara Independent, which will feature an Earth Day festival guide with everything you need to know for the weekend celebration. Also, if you want a comprehensive story about the history of oil spills in our community, tune into last week's episode of The Indy to learn more about oil pipelines in Santa Barbara. Reporting for The Indy, I'm Chilo Espelius. Until next
0: time, Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara, home to the original Earth Day movement, this event is sure to be highly anticipated for community members who are passionate about environmental awareness and advocacy. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Indie Pod, and we'll see you next week. Reporting from the newsroom the Santa Barbara Independent, you're listening to The Indie. I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg, and we'll see you next time.